distract you from our second service, but please don't let it distract you. A reminder that we have a potluck today, immediately following service. So after you're done praying, let's head down and have fellowship and food. Um, Also a reminder that today is our final uh, offering date for Save Our Children offering. So if you still have any that you want to give, today is the last day for that. And April 1st is our next youth hyphen game night. That'll be at our house from 6 to 9 p.m. We've been having a great time of fellowship, uh, having a little devotion. It's just a really good time for our young people to get together. Um, April 9th is coming quick. That is our Easter. We're going to have Easter sunrise service, 6.30 a.m., We'll be serving breakfast, so get up early. We're going to be up with the sunrise, and then we will have service at 8 a.m. All right, and then just one last reminder, um, ladies' retreat. The registration, the early registration is coming to a close on April 1st. So if you have not yet registered, please see Sister Shepherd. Uh, if she can help you if you have any questions or if you just need help with that process. Uh, but be sure to see her so that you can get registered at that lower rate. Also, um, we have been notified that the Kalahari is now 100% cashless, which means if you're going to be buying anything on that resort, they will not accept cash. You will need your card. So just keep that in mind when you're there if you eat on the premises, or whatever. Hallelujah. Let's worship him. I will enter his gates. That didn't sound right. No, it didn't. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. That sounds right. Okay. Thank you, Karina. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. That the Lord hath made, I will rejoice, for he hath made me glad. I will enter 
It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. The Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. The living Word incarnate, the helpless sinner's friend. Our wisdom and perfection, our righteousness and power. Yea, all we need in Jesus, we find this very hour. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead is all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. Our God, for whom we've waited, will be the glad refrain of Israel recreated when Jesus comes again. Though He will come and save us, our King and Priest to be, for in Him dwells awfulness, and Lord of all is He. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead is all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, the Prince of Peace is He. The everlasting Father, the King eternally. The wonderful in wisdom, by whom all things were made. The fullness of the Godhead in Jesus is displayed. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in Him. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. Let's worship Him now, can we, church? He is the King of kings, and He's the Lord of lords. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. It's Him that sits on the throne. It's Him that is altogether sovereign in this and in every place. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, church, we can worship Him for who He is. 
we can worship Him for His mighty acts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are my King. You are my Lord. You are my God, my Savior and Redeemer. You are the lover of my soul in whom I trust. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are worthy, altogether worthy to receive my worship, to receive all my praise. Hallelujah, you have done so wondrously and gloriously in our midst and in my life. You have wrought wondrously. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. We have a lot to be thankful for, church. We have a lot to be grateful for. Praise God. Those things that we are thankful for, those things that we are grateful for, we've received from Him, from Jesus. Praise God. And so He is altogether worthy to receive worship from me, to receive all praise, all glory, all honor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, you can be seated for just a moment. Just a couple of quick things. We have some visitors with us today. I want to recognize them. Uh, Austin is here with us. He's a friend of uh, Sister Karina. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. We're so glad to have you. I met him at one of our uh, youth nights at the home. Amen. I don't think he actually played you in anything. Which is probably good because I was on a losing streak that night. <laughs> Amen. But we're so glad to have you. And this fine-looking family, I, I don't know your... Amen. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Well, we're so happy to have you folks with us today. Amen. God bless you. If you guys need anything, please uh, let one of our ushers know, and they'll be happy to help you out in any way we can. Amen. Praise God. All right. Uh, second thing is, uh, if you weren't here during the Faith Promise service, uh, I encourage you to pick up one of the Faith Promise uh, offering slips uh, and go ahead and fill that out, if you haven't already. Uh, again, uh, this is the work of God. We are, we are planted here in La Crosse, and, and certainly our burden is here primarily, but our burden, Christ's burden is worldwide. It's all across the world. Uh, he died for the whole world, not just for one city, not one county, state, country. Uh, I heard a missionary say a while ago that uh, Jesus isn't an American. And, you know, for, that, really, that really struck a chord with me. Because I think a lot of times we do think that. Jesus is American. He's not. Specifically, he's, he's Jewish, but uh, more pertinent, he's, he's for the whole world. He's for all people, everywhere. And that's his burden, and that needs to be our burden. Amen. And when we have a burden, we demonstrate it with our actions, don't we? When we have faith, our faith is demonstrated by our actions. Amen. So if you haven't already, please uh, grab one of those uh, faith promise envelopes and, and fill that out as the Lord lays on your heart to do so. Amen.
Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30 is where our scripture text is this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. It's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Because. I know your parents don't want to hear this, but you go ahead and say whatever you want. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we should go and gather them up? They said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Amen. We'll be speaking for the remainder of our service on this topic. Shades of gray to black and white. Shades of gray to black and white. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I pray, Lord, that you would have complete control, that you would rule and reign here for the remainder of our service, that your perfect will would be accomplished here, that your great name would be glorified. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. God bless all of you. Those of you that have not buried yourself under a rock for the past four years or so, realize that today is a day of intense polarization. Intense division. People are trying to divide us up every way they can. Culturally. There's an abortion thing going on. Should we legalize abortion or shouldn't we? If we legalize abortion, how far should we go with it? And all of the ramifications of that. But people are Intensely divided. Families are intensely divided by that topic. Drug use has become prominent in today's day and age. Should we legalize marijuana? Should we legalize all drugs? If so, how should we do it? How should we control it? Etc., etc. And there are positions on both sides of the fence. Ethnically, for sure, we've been divided for a very long time in this country. Racial division. They're still trying to keep that dead horse alive. The media, our culture today, college campuses. Folks, just so we're clear, there's only one race. The human race. We are all of one blood. All created in the image and likeness of God. Your skin color doesn't matter one whit. If you have a little more, a little less melatonin in your body than I do, who cares? 
I'd rather have more myself. I like a nice tan. But in the wintertime, this is what you get. So, that's, I can't help that. That's how God made me. <laughs> Amen. Gender identity has come to the forefront now. We were talking a little bit ago about your preferred pronouns. He, him, she, her. And all of that junk. But more and more our culture is becoming divided with that. Politically. Anyone understand that we're divided politically in this country? Yeah, with the advent of Trump, MAGA, that kind of kicked things off or jump-started what was already under the, under the currents maybe. I don't know, but certainly today, if you have an extended family of any size, you get together at Thanksgiving, there's going to be arguments. Liberal versus conservative. Republican versus Democrat. Socialism versus free market. However you want to... Wherever you want to put the line. Economically, we're divided. More and more, the middle class is disappearing from our country. And the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. That used to be kind of a, a saying that the socialists would, would throw around when I was a kid. Oh, the rich just get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, that wasn't really true. Not generally. Today, more and more, it is becoming true. Uh, there is a war on the middle class, economically. How about religion? Well, there are those that would have us believe there is no division, or there ought not be any division. The ecumenical movement is such that we're just going to find some common ground, and we'll all get together, and we'll just love Jesus. And that's good enough. The Catholics are reaching out to the Protestants, Welcoming us back, us backslidden brothers. Amen. So more and more, religiously, at least in Christianity, they are trying to make everything one. That's not going to happen, folks. At best, it will end up as two. It's kind of the, the topic of our message here today. There are two views of history, uh, eschatologically speaking. Uh, when you look at uh, prophecy, you can divide that up a lot of different ways. Well, three, really. There's post-millennialism, pre-millennialism, amillennialism. All right, big fancy theological words. What that means is post-millennialism... Everything is going to get bigger and better and, and stronger down here. And, and more and more people are going to be one to the Lord. So many, in fact, that we're just going to establish Christ's kingdom here on our own. We're going to have so many people in the church. And we're just going to vote things in. And, and we're, going to, we're going to have righteousness and godliness reign here on earth. And after a, a time period of that, Jesus is just going to come down and cap everything off. That's post-millennialism. Premillennialism is things are not going to get better. Things are probably, at least according to Scripture, going to get worse. 
And it's going to continue that way until Jesus raptures the church. And after all of that, He's going to come down and set up His millennial reign here on earth. I'm speeding this along. There's, there's more in there, of course. And then there's amillennialism. We won't spend too much time on that because, frankly speaking, it, it, it's absurd. It makes no sense at all. There is no millennial reign, uh, or it's allegorized or spiritualized. We're in the millennial reign now. Uh, there's a couple different schools of thought on that. Forget about that. Um, if you're wondering where I stand on that, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14 says this. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I am a premillennialist, if it matters. I don't believe things are going to get bigger and better down here. I think Jesus is going to have to come back, and if He doesn't come, it will be the end of all flesh. That's what I think. I think Scripture uh, teaches that. So our Scripture text today, we see the wheat and the tares. The tares, in, in some translations, is translated weeds. Weeds. Or more specifically, darnell wheat. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to understand that while we're in the world, we will be surrounded by, tangled up with, tares. Tares are growing all around us. Both the wheat and the tares grow in this world. Each one has a different sower or a different father. We kind of touched on this this morning during the first, ser- the first message, service. We'll get it right. If someone isn't a wheat, then he is a tear. If someone isn't a child of God, he's a child of the devil. There are only two options here. There's not a third, fourth, fifth option. And I know that's plain. I know that's direct. But so is Jesus. I say this in love. There's only two roads. There's two paths. There's two gates. And we can only choose one. And it is our choice. Jesus has done everything He can for us. He loves us. He loves us so desperately that He hung on a cross and painfully died. He bled out and died. took Him hours to do that just for the opportunity to give you the opportunity to live with Him forever. That's why He did that. Well, couldn't He have just snapped His fingers and everything's back to the way it needs to be? Probably He could have, but folks, He's a God of law. And He cannot violate His character. This gets into a great big discussion that we don't have time for. But he will not, he cannot violate his character. That is the very definition of sin, by the way. When we do something that violates one of his characteristics, God cannot sin. 
So if he just snapped his fingers, he would be violating his own righteousness. He can't just forgive without violating righteousness. The price for sin had to be paid. It had to be paid according to his own character. The punishment for sin is death. Why death? Because that's how ugly it is. That's how destructive it is. That's how God views sin. We see sin as, you know, sometimes just a little white lie. It's, it's okay. Everyone does it. It's okay. Or if our conscience really starts convicting us, okay, Jesus, please forgive me. That's not how God views sin, folks. He views it as so ugly and so desperately heinous that the punishment for it is death. And that's how we need to see sin. That's how we need to look at it. Certainly in our own lives. But even in the lives of others. Not judgmentally, but understanding what a desperate strait that people are in. Still living in sin. And I say that because sometimes we can get to thinking, man, actually that'd be kind of nice. Kind of nice to be able to do that, but I'm a Christian, so I can't. That's that's a crazy position to take on that, folks. They don't get to do that. They have to do that. They don't have a choice but to live in sin. They're bound by it. They're slaves to it. We've been freed from that. We're free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We're free to live according to His precepts and His commandments. Where before, my taskmaster was heavy and hated me and wanted me destroyed. My new taskmaster, and folks, sorry, uh, you're free only to choose your master. That's it. You're going to have a master. It's going to be Satan or it's going to be God. Those are your options. Well, I, I choose neither. I'm going to serve my own interests. Well, that's Satan. I'm not going to... I'm, I'm going to work for money. Grab all the gusto I can get. Well, yeah, that's Satan too. Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Every other road, folks, that's where it leads. But Jesus loves you. He loves you so desperately. You can accept that or not. You can believe that or not. But it's true. It's true whether you believe it or not. It's true when I didn't believe it. It was true then. It's true today. He loves you. He wants the very best for your life. And if He gives us boundaries, folks, it's for our protection. When we had kids, we didn't let them just do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted because I love them. You just do whatever you want. Go play in traffic. That's what you want to do. Go ahead and drink that Drano. That makes you happy. No, we didn't do that. Get your hands off the Drano. That's poison. 
get out of the traffic. You'll get run over. Stay out of the road. We didn't tell them that because we hated their guts. We loved them. We wanted to see them grow up normal. Not missing an arm and a leg. Jesus sets boundaries for us too. Why? Because He loves us. He's, he's protecting us. Amen. Let's talk about this Darnell wheat. These weeds that were sown in with the, the wheat. I get this from uh, Martin G. Collins in his uh, work Parables of Matthew chapter 13, part 3. He says this, and I quote, Satan's malicious intention in sowing stairs among the wheat is to cause problems and confusion. The bad seeds grow to become poisonous weeds that allow only the healthiest of the wheat to survive. Tares, like weeds, have never been a marketable product. Tares are actually Darnell, a seed hardly identifiable from the wheat seed, and immature wheat and Darnell look alike. To try to destroy the Darnell would mean destroying much of the wheat, and separating one from the other would be beyond the servant's abilities. Only when the wheat has matured can the tares be detected. Then the tares are gathered together in bundles in the field and destroyed by fire. I also want to quote uh, Ted E. Bowling from his work, Taking Care with the Tares. He says this, and I quote, Tares are weeds diametrically opposed to wheat in all their properties other than appearance. Even the botanical name of the weed, Darnell, <clears throat> conveys its detrimental quality. Darnell comes from the French language meaning drunkenness, having earned this name as a result of its intoxicating effect when consumed. When Darnell is ground into flour, baked in bread, and consumed while hot, the eater may experience symptoms similar to drunkenness, including trembling, followed by an inability to walk, hindered speech, and vomiting. Sounds like a great time, doesn't it? In addition, Darnell is commonly infected by the air goat fungus, which can cause hallucinations when consumed in small doses, but in large doses can do heavy damage to the central nervous system. The Greeks and Romans supposed that the Darnell and the fungus to cause blindness. The Romans even crafted an insult from Darnell, lolio victitare, some derivative, which means to live on Darnell, a phrase applied to a dim-sighted or short-sighted person. The high value and health properties of wheat are opposite to the common and harmful properties of Darnell, yet in Christ's parable, the owner of the field allows both to grow together. One reason is because wheat and Darnell are exact in their appearances during growth. Both plants are lush green and can be distinguished only when they mature and produce fruit. Wheat berries are large and golden, while Darnell berries are small and gray. Thus, if the farmer attempted to uproot the tares before maturity, he would wreak havoc on his wheat." Unquote. Amen. So, we get some information as to the nature, the character of this, these tares, this Darnell wheat. Some points to consider. We all grow together, the wheat and the tares. And for the most part, they're going to be indistinguishable. But not always. They won't always be indistinguishable. Now, I should say this before I continue. We're talking about a parable here. A parable is kind of similar to an analogy. And like an analogy, it will break down at some point. I will let you know when it starts to break down. But uh, to the point where the, the analogy or the parable is, is speaking of or referencing, it's apt. It works. Okay? Um, 
Moving on. We're all sewed together, the wheat and the tares. We all grow up together. We have jobs. We go out into the marketplace, the workplace. Uh, we have businesses. We go out. We pay our bills. We go shopping. And we're surrounded by tares. Maybe there's some wheat in there. It's really hard to say. You can't tell by looking at someone if they're Christian or not. You can't. Yeah, maybe every once in a while you can. The point I'm trying to make is God sowed us right where we are. God sowed us right here. And whatever we're surrounded by, there's a bunch of tares around us. He put our seed right in there and said, grow, mature. And so that's what, we, that's what we do. We grow right where we're at. We mature right where we're at. Another point I want to make is, and again, pass final judgment on me until after I've developed this thought, okay? Amen. We cannot clean up the world. We can't clean up the world. You've heard it said, Maybe you've thought this at one point. I'm going to change the world. Most people out of high school, the valedictorian gets up and gives his or her speech. And one of the things that invariably come out, go out and change the world. Go out and impact the world. Etc., etc. And it's, it, they're good speeches. And they're motivating. And, and certainly we need to do our best. We need to to live righteously and impact our society for, for righteousness, all of that, absolutely. But the Bible never teaches us to clean up the world. We're not able to. We're called to win the lost. We're called to teach. We're called to witness. We're called to baptize. Not to clean up the world. Okay. Go a step farther. Did God call us? Did God ever call us to change the world? How about this? We need to impact the world for Jesus Christ. You've heard that. I don't doubt that I've said that. But did I think about what I was saying? Are we called to change society, change the world? Or are we called to change individuals, transform individuals through the gospel message by the power of God? Is that what we're called to do? J. Vernon McGee said this, God did not call me to clean up the pond. He called me to fish out of it. I think that's pretty apt. That's pretty good. We're not called to clean up the pond. We just need to fish out of it. We're not responsible for the world. We're responsible for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, baptizing, discipling. This world is not going to be cleaned up. Now, as citizens of the United States, uh, if you feel like you need to be involved in politics, I'm not telling you don't be involved in politics. 
Maybe if we had more people, Christians involved in politics, we'd be in a better spot today. I don't know. But my point is that can't be our focus. That can't be uh, our primary motivation to reach this world. We're reaching individuals. If we're going to change the world at all, it will be by changing individuals. One person at a time. Amen. We're not called to change society. We're not called to change the world. We're not responsible for the world. We're calling people out of the world and into His church. That's what we're here to do. And that's kind of where the analogy will break down. We're called to transform the tares into wheat or allow God through us. It's the power of God that, that transforms. But allow God to, to transform the, the tares into wheat. Amen. The straight and narrow versus the broad and wide. There's only two choices. First Thessalonians 2, 1-4 states this, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And the apostle goes on to talk about the Antichrist, the end times, things that will be transpiring then. But I want us to focus on this falling away. There is coming a great falling away. Maybe it will coincide with the great revival that is already upon us worldwide. There is already a worldwide revival happening. Amen. But there will be a falling away. Right now, within Christ's body, there exists both wheat and tares. Maybe I shouldn't say it like that. Within the church buildings, the congregations that we sit in, the, the, the people that we consider to be in church. Okay, there is, there is the universal church. That's not what I'm talking about. Everyone in the universal church is right with God. They're going to go to heaven if they stay there. I'm talking about our churches across the world. There are people, hopefully not sitting next to us, but in some, in some instances, there are people sitting in our congregations listening to the preaching of the Word, worshiping God, feeling His presence, that will not make it, that will not go when the rapture happens. Why? Because they're tares. And it hasn't fully matured yet. So we can't see it. And this is another area the analogy will break down, but... I suggest one way that we are going to start seeing the tares. And that's persecution. That's test and trial. Ryan, can you, the slide that has all the, the first one, that's kind of a, that's kind of where we're at today, folks, in the church. We got people 
on that side, that side, fully committed, sold out to Jesus Christ. The world over. And no matter what happens, no matter what comes their way, they're not letting it go. They're going to serve Jesus even if it costs them their life. There's people on the other end. The opposite end. They're barely in. They're coming because they have to. They're coming because people keep nagging them about it. Etc., etc. Most people are somewhere in the middle. Go back to the first one. Most people are somewhere in the middle. Shades of gray. Somewhat committed. Somewhat willing to serve. Somewhat willing to sacrifice. To a point. As time goes on, that homogenization is going to get sorted out. Put on slide two. And they're going to start coming together a little bit more defined. As persecution arises, as the cost for serving Jesus increases, people are going to discover that's not a price I'm willing to pay. And they're going to back on out. Put on the last slide. Eventually it's going to end up like this. Either you're all in or you're all out. If you are in, it's all the way. Because you know what it means to be all in. There are Christians in the world, and we've talked about this. I'll continue to talk about it. There are people in the world today saying yes to Jesus, understanding that when I say yes, I could lose my head over that. I could be decapitated. My family, my, my wife, my children could die because of that decision. I could be thrown in prison. I could, I could lose everything. I could be beaten, permanently injured. But they're saying yes anyway. How are they doing that? How can someone say yes to Jesus? People in the United States can barely say yes when you take up an offering. You take up an offering and people leave. Ah, you're just after my money. I don't need your stinking money. I don't need it. Jesus provides all I got. You need to give. You need to give so God can bless you according to His promises. That's why I promote giving. I don't need your money. God's going to provide for me if you give or not. I trust in Him. When I had a job, if I lost the job, I went look for a new one. But I wasn't worried about it. God's my provider, not the workplace. God might use that workplace for a time. Here comes something else He'll use down the road. God's my provider. So I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to worry about my giving. He tells me what to give. I give it. It's His money. It's His money. It's His body. It's His intellect. His skills and His talents and His abilities. Everything's His. It's all His. And you can deny that. You can walk away from it and just grab all of it and use it yourself. You can do that. 
and you may even be successful. Quote, unquote. You may, you may amass a great wealth, a great amount of money. People do do it. But then what? Then what? Then nothing. I don't even know where I'm supposed to be at. Shades of gray to black and white. That day is coming, folks. That's going to be the fruit that we see. That's going to be the fruit that's produced by the wheat and the fruit that's going to be produced by the tares. And that's when the falling away is going to take place, as I see it. When Jesus sends His reapers and collects the tares first, that's going to be the falling away, folks. They're going to leave. They're going to walk away. They're going to renounce this. For whatever price they're offered, 30 pieces of silver. But this melting pot scenario, that's going to go away. If you're in the middle, if you're anywhere in the middle, folks, get yourself sorted before that takes place. Get on to the side that's all in. Revelation 3, 15-18 says this, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm. In other words, somewhere in the middle. And neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Got everything I need. Don't need you, Jesus. Got it all right here, right now. What you fail to realize is that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. From a spiritual perspective, from an eternal perspective, you have nothing. Nothing of value. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the same of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve. that thou mayest see. Amen. There's nothing we can do about the tares. They're going to grow. There's nothing we can do about this world system. It's going to remain the way it is. But we're responsible for ourselves. Am I sold out to Jesus? Am I right with God? Am I, am I ready for when He comes? Am I going to go with Him? Is the price ever going to become too high to serve Him? Is there a point where someone can ask too much of me? Is there a point where I decide I'm done? That's too much. I'm walking away. If so, folks, 
we need to call out to God. Because the facts are this. He is coming back. The tares are going to be separated out first and burned in the fire. And then the wheat is going to be gathered lovingly, stored into his barns. We're going to heaven. We're going to live with him forever. Christians that are, quote unquote, on fire. Christians that are completely sold out. Not a lot will bother them. Not too many things can get under their skin. Why is that? They know in whom they have believed. They know who their God is. They know who they are in God. They've got all of these questions settled. No, there is no price that's too high. I have given everything to Jesus. Now, if if He doesn't require it, and I get to keep it, great. But it's His to take if He wants. My health is His to take. My mind, my body, all that I have, it's His to take if He so chooses, because it's His anyway. I have it on loan. And we need to understand outside of this parable that we used to be tares. We are now wheat. The tares around us, they need the same opportunity. They need the same chance. Do you think it's Jesus' will to gather them together and burn them in the fire? That was never His plan. That was never His will. He did everything He did to avoid that. But as He will not violate His character, He will not also violate your free will. He gives you the choice. It's yours to make. I can't make it for you. You can't make it for me. It's yours to make. This altar is open. We have an opportunity today. Let's all stand. And if we can, let's come to the front. And let's spend some time in His presence. We can't do anything about the world. The world is going to be like it always has. What we can do is be responsible for us. And maybe once God sorts us out and gets us all squared away, maybe we can go help someone else do the same. Jesus ministered to me when I was unlovable. Jesus reached out to me when I hated Him. Jesus suffered on a cross and died for me for no reason other than the fact that He loves me. 
We need to have that same love for others. We need to be able to demonstrate that love to others. To demonstrate Jesus to this world. Not just His power and authority, although that is part of it, but His love and His compassion and His mercy as well. His forgiveness. Amen. We see someone in the street, and sometimes our first, our immediate reaction is to cringe, especially if they're dressed really weird. In the 80s, early 90s, it was the, the, the punk rock people. Had the spike hair, purple, pink hair, big leather coats, you know, all that stuff. Dressed way different than I did. But once I got over my aversion and started speaking to a couple of them, they were some of the nicest people I could ever speak with. I was very surprised. I was very surprised and I was embarrassed that I was. People are people, folks, and they do people things. People who live in Egypt, they're Egyptians. They're going to act like Egyptians. That's their nature. That's their character. That's who they are. Amen. We can give them an alternative, though. The same alternative you and I were given. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved people when He hung on the cross. He loves people today. More pertinent... He loves you. He loves you. Let's call out on Him. Let's pray to Jesus here for just a little while. If you think you're somewhere in the middle, let's ask Him to move us to a state of being completely sold out. Because at some point, folks, that's what it's going to be anyway. If you're not completely sold out, you're just going to be out. And it will be your choice. We want to be sold out for Him. We want to be completely committed and dedicated to Him. Having those questions answered. There is no price I will not pay to serve Jesus Christ. There is nothing in my life that I'm not willing to give up if He asks it of me. Lord Jesus, as we cry out to You, as we come together as one body, entering into Your presence, seeking Your face, I pray, Lord Jesus, first and foremost, that You would have mercy upon us. If we have done, said, or thought anything that has displeased You, if we have entertained thoughts in our heart, questions, about whether or not it's, it's worth serving You. I pray, Lord, that those questions would be settled today in this service. Questions of, is it worth serving Jesus when the world is so alluring, so appealing? Help those questions to be settled in our hearts right now. There's nothing in this world that's worth giving You up. There's nothing in this world worth giving up eternity with You. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I pray that You'd speak with Your people. Speak with those present here today. Speak with those joining us online. 
I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, let it be settled in our hearts that we are all in. And then, help us to love enough. Help us to have enough compassion to reach out to those tears around us. Understanding that they are tears, but they don't have to remain tears. You saved me. You delivered me from the bondage of sin and death. You can do the same for them. You want to do the same for them. I pray in Jesus' name that You would do that in us. That You would do that through us. That You would use us as ministers of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That You would use us as effectual ambassadors of Jesus Christ to this world. To those tares present around us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. As we call out to You, as we cry out to You, Lord Jesus, please come. We desire to feel Your presence. We desire to hear Your voice. Lead us and guide us, I pray, into all truth. Something's confusing or cloudy or, or, or any such thing, Lord, clear, us, clear our vision up. Get those questions answered in our, in our hearts, our minds. I pray, Lord Jesus, get every question answered. Help us to have these things settled in our hearts. Because the time is coming where these things will be sorted out by You. And in that day, we want to be ready. We want to be assured of our salvation. We don't have to be wondering. We don't have to be in doubt. We don't have to hope. We can know that we're right with You. Thank You, Jesus. Help us to know. Help us to know of a surety that we are a child of the Most High God. Thank You, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's keep praying, church. Change my heart, oh God. 
Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. Do you want to be like Jesus? Raise your hands and say, Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. Change my heart, O oh God, make it 